Today, we continue with discipleship. We continue today with discipleship. Our governing discipleship Bible text that I want you to forever remember is Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. This is the Church of the Atonement. And biblically, that means you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our brother, our God, and our King. Hear now the King's command and indeed our marching orders. After Christ's resurrection, he meets with his disciples and he says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We are looking at discipleship over these four weeks, last week, this week, and the next two weeks. We're looking at discipleship worked out according to four E's. Evangelize, establish, equip, and export. Last week we looked at evangelize, and today our topic is establish. I want to give you a definition for discipleship again today. I am a firm believer in repetition. (laughs) So you're going to hear this all four weeks. Sue also was kind enough to print it in your bulletin, so please look at it there. Discipling others is the process by which a Christian with a life worth emulating commits himself or herself for an extended period of time to a few individuals who have been one to Christ. The purpose being to aid and guide their growth to maturity and equip them to reproduce themselves in a third spiritual generation. Now I'm going to stop and I'm going to pray (laughs) and then we'll move a little further. Our Father and our God, I am imperfect. I am a sinner saved by the grace you've given to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. But your word is perfect, and your word is what your people need. Throughout the ages of time, we see clearly as the church, because of your word, Holy Spirit, speak to us today. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The church is the called-out assembly, the called-out congregation of God. The church belongs to God. The church belongs to God. The church is called out, capital O-U-T, of the world to be the people of God throughout the world 
throughout the ages of time until Jesus returns. God calls His church, how? Through the work of evangelism. He calls people out of darkness through evangelism. New believers in Jesus are made through evangelism. Well, after a person comes to put their faith, their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, they must be established in the faith. New believers must be established in the faith. Now, this message today has two major points, two major lessons that I'm praying the Spirit of the living God places deep within your soul. The points are this. Discipleship, excuse me, disciples of Jesus must be established in their identity in Christ according to the Word of God. And number two, disciples of Jesus must be established in the way or the path of maturity according to the Word of God. Now, our passage today comes from Colossians. And there are several passages here we're going to look at today, but they are all from the crux of what we're looking at. comes out of Paul's letter to the Colossians. Here now, Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now here also, Verse 28, Him we proclaim. Him, Jesus, we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The first point that I want us to look at today is... Disciples of Jesus must be established in their identity in Christ according to the Word of God. If you're writing that down, I would capitalize, because that's how I have it here, capitalize identity, every letter. Disciples of Jesus must be established in their identity in Christ according to the Word of God. Here in verse 21, Paul teaches on life without Christ. In verses 21 and 22, he gives us a contrast. 
A contrast of life before Jesus juxtaposed to life with Jesus, life with Christ. And he addresses you, (laughs) the you at Colossae, and that you is not singular, it's plural. He addresses the church, the gathered assembly at Colossae. In verse 21, Paul says, you who were without Christ. Without Christ is the condition of every single human being born into this world. I think oftentimes we forget that, and I don't want you to forget that. The Word of God does not want us to forget that. We are born rebels to the Creator. It's why our world is a mess. In verse 21, listen to what Paul says. You were alienated. And what does that mean? You all were strangers to God. You had no connection to God. You didn't know Him. You were hostile in mind. Hostile, angry. An enemy of God. In your understanding, in your thinking, You were an enemy of God, which was exposed, how? By your evil deeds. And next he says, you were doing evil deeds. Outright living, which was in opposition to God's commands. The disposition of your heart, of your thinking, of your loving was against God. You know, I told you all last week about the mechanic up in Frederick who he was evangelizing me. And I, I thought about this in particular, the life before Christ. He, he took time, that, that mechanic, to tell me what his life looked like before Jesus. He was brutally honest with me, you all. Brutally honest. He wanted me to understand, and he said this to me, my life before Jesus was empty and without purpose. He said, I tried to commit suicide. Of course, God didn't let him. God had a plan. But he said, I was doing what I wanted to do. He told me about walking down a dusty road. Out in the middle of nowhere. I think he said he was out in Colorado. He said, I was out in the middle of nowhere. He said, I was lost. Life apart from Jesus is not good. Well, in verse 22a, which is just the first sentence there, Jesus has accomplished something for you all, Paul says, and that is reconciliation. The work of Jesus for you equals life with Christ. It equals union with Christ. Well, Jesus has now, Paul says, done something. The now is present. It's present application. It is reality right now for you who are in Jesus. The work of reconciliation, Paul says, occurred through the offering, sacrifice, and the acceptance of the body of Christ given through death to God on your behalf. 
which means that the broken relationship between God and you and me is fixed. It's restored through Jesus. In verse 22b there, the next part of this, Paul talks about the benefit that Christ has accomplished for you. He explains it. And this is the work of Jesus on your behalf, church of the living God, to present you all holy. To present you all holy. Now, one thing you got to remember here, he's talking about something, your salvation is present, but he's also talking about something that's yet to come. Every human being will stand before the judgment seat of God. And if Jesus does not present you in him as holy, hell is your condemnation. And rightly so. It would be mine too, apart from Jesus. Paul says the work of Christ is to present you holy. And it means this, that you all are set apart to God. Set apart to God. He, he, it's to present you all blameless. It means there's no faults with you. There's no blemish to taint you. In the bulletin last week, I asked Sue to put Leviticus 16 in there, and I didn't read it, but I wanted you to read it. You may have, you may have not, but one of the things that I wanted you to see there points to this. In Leviticus 16, God tells Moses to give to Aaron and the people of Israel these explicit, incredibly detailed instructions on what it means to come before God with a sacrifice for sin, for an offering for sin. I mean, it is incredibly detailed. And you know that it is uh, real because a few chapters before, Aaron's two sons approach God in an unholy manner and God destroys them instantly. And he tells Aaron, before you can enter, to offer sacrifice for the people, you first got to do some things for yourself. You've got to offer an offering for your sin. And then you must give one for the people. Jesus is that offering for us. And you might think, well, now, Terrence, this is very simple. Amen, it is, and don't ever forget it. Because when life hits you, the, the, the trials and the storms of the world come against you. This is what will hold you strong in the Lord. The work of Christ is to present you all above reproach before God, meaning you all are not accused of having done anything wrong. Isn't that something? And I know there's some of you who deal with guilt who deal with the adversary saying, oh, you're not good enough. Well, of course you're not good enough, but Jesus is. He's mine, and I'm his. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. At the church I attended in university, it's called Friendly Hills PCA there, a young high schooler named Matt gave a children's message one day, and I will never forget it. I will never forget it. 
He was down in the front of the church there, and he had a bowl of water. And of course, water is clear, right? And he put some stuff in there that made the water muddy and dirty. And he said, this water is you and me. Before God, we are soiled. We are imperfect. We are tainted. We are against him. And then he took some sort of a solution and he put down in the water. And as he put it down in the water, he talked about the work of Jesus. And as he was talking about the work of Jesus, he's moving his hand in the water and the water became clear. And I started weeping. He said, Jesus cleans you up. Jesus washes your sin away. (laughs) I love that. The dirty water is you and me without Jesus, and the clean water is you and me in union with Jesus. New Christians must be established into their new identity in Christ. They have to be they got to be established in who they are in Jesus. Well, Terrence, what does establish mean? What does it mean to, what does it mean to establish a new disciple in Christ? What does that process look like? Establish means this in the Oxford American Dictionary. To set something up on a firm or permanent basis. To set something up on a firm or permanent basis. In discipleship, we want to establish new believers, new disciples in Christ, which means they're learners of Christ. They are followers of Christ. We want to establish them on the firm and permanent identity that they now have in Jesus Christ. It is union with Christ that is real that is now, that is permanent, that is eternal. It's difficult to think about eternity in a world uh, as uh, as immediate and immediately immediately gratifying as the, the world that we live in. But it's very real. It's very real. It's very real for people who struggle with sickness. It's very real for people who've lost loved ones. Union with Christ is eternal, and new believers must know this. God considers you individually and collectively as belonging to his son, King Jesus. Now, I'm I'm spending more time on this first point than I am the second one on purpose. In every age, you all, in every age of the church, the church has to be reminded of whose they are and who they belong to. It seems... In our world, that the church has forgotten who God is, and that is a travesty. It is demonstrated in so many different ways, and yet the Word of God stands firm, doesn't it? It doesn't change. God is concerned about calling men and women, boys and girls, out of darkness into his marvelous light. I want you to hear... Some words from Jesus. Before I get there, let me say these things. I'm getting ahead of myself. Church, Jesus Christ is your king. Jesus Christ is who you are to be identified with in this world. Jesus Christ is your confession. 
your allegiance is first and foremost to Jesus. I can't say that loud enough. I'd love to just roar it, but I'm not. Your allegiance is first and foremost to Jesus. And if you've got a problem with that, you've got a problem with the word of God. Amen, amen. King Jesus says this, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Standing before Pilate, who was the governing power at the hour of Jesus' death, Jesus made this great declaration, church, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom, says Jesus, is not of this world. Amen. In the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, Jesus, before he goes to the cross, he prays a magnificent prayer for his disciples and for us. And this is what he says. I'm just going to read you part of it. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, meaning they got purpose in the world as long as they're in the world. They are not of the world. They are not of the world. They are not of the world. Shall I say it again? (laughs) They are not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. That means set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. That's why I preach and teach Sunday school. (laughs) That's why I preach the word on Sundays and teach Sunday school. The word is what changes people. Jesus goes on and he says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only. Amen. This is where we come in. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their what? Word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, communion with God, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Isn't that something? Set them apart in the world, that the world may know that you sent me. It's very clear about what the church exists for. We exist for God in the world. And we are to represent God in the world until he takes us out of the world. Well, Church of the Atonement, since you belong to King Jesus... You are to represent your king according to his word, according to his instruction, according to his teaching, and not by the fleeting things of this world. Jesus defines you. Your political party does not define you. Your job does not define you. Your biological family name does not define you. Your academic pedigree does not define you. Your skin color 
does not define you. Your country of origin does not define you. Hallelujah. Jesus defines you. And it is high time the church of the living God paid attention to the word of God. We are powerless and ineffective in our witness because we do not know God. Amen, Brother Little. And we have generations sitting among us, looking at us every day. And the Lord says, you're mine. You know, the whole point of the Old Testament, it's a case study on what it looks like for God to have a people, him to give them himself and for them to reject him. And he saves them. If you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, he defines who you are. Disciples of Jesus Christ must be established in their identity in Jesus Christ. This leads to the second point of the message. I'm I'm hastening on you all. Number two, disciples of Jesus must be established in the way of maturity according to the word of God. Disciples of Jesus must be established in the way of maturity according to the word of God. And verse 28 illustrates this very well. Paul teaches here that Christ is proclaimed. That's his message. In all the places the Lord sent him, in all of his missionary journeys, he proclaimed Christ. Regardless of your social status, regardless of your your job, Regardless of what you stood for in the world, he proclaimed Jesus, because that's who everybody needed. People are warned, he says, about the consequences of rejecting Jesus. People are taught with wisdom. Wisdom, which is the skill of living rightly. People are taught with wisdom about Christ so that they may be presented mature in Jesus. Well, what is maturity? Maturity is an apple seed, (laughs) an apple seed planted in the ground that grows to an apple tree, right, that produces apples in which there are seeds to go back into the ground and produce what? Apple trees. Maturity looks like the process of a young child grown to adult man or woman. And those are just images. This is what it looks like for the Christian. Two things. Maturity means new disciples of Jesus must be taught. I say this because we live in a world where there are so many other things teaching us through the week. The church gets only Sunday. And then sometimes barely that. You know, Paul, I'm getting ahead of myself, but Paul says to the Romans in chapter 12, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind in this. Continue in the faith, Paul says, 
This is true of you if you continue in the faith. Persist. Persist. Intentionally follow Jesus. Be stable in the faith. Be steadfast in the faith. You know, excuse me, I, I went on this cruise this summer. I was treated to a cruise by one of my best friend's family. He took a bunch of us, but it was, it was great. One thing I was worried about was, oh, am I going to get motion sick up there on that boat? Because, you know, it's wobbling in the water like this. <laughs> but I didn't. It was stable. God wants us to be stable. Be steadfast in the faith. Not shifting from the hope of the gospel, the hope of the good news that you heard. The gospel has been proclaimed, he says. And Paul says, I'm a minister of it. You all live in, live on, and live by the gospel. Every single day, God gives you life and breath to live. The second thing here under disciples of Jesus must be established in the way of maturity, according to the word of God. Maturity means new disciples must walk with Jesus. And my time is going away. Sometime this week, I want you to read chapter 2, verses 1 to 15. I'm just going to read a couple of verses for you real quickly. I'm going to read verse 6 and a few more. Paul says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. In verse 5, Paul longs to see the Colossian church in good order and firm in their faith in Christ. In verses 6 to 7, Paul instructs, walk in Christ, the Lord, rooted and built up in Christ. Walk in Christ Jesus, the Lord, established in the faith. Walk in Christ Jesus, the Lord, just as you were taught. Walk in Christ Jesus with thanksgiving. It means you talking to the Lord on a daily basis. In verses 8 through 10, he gives us more instruction. He says, do not fall under the captivity and the bondage of the deceitfulness of human tradition, which expresses itself through philosophy and empty lies or deceit. These are of the world. They're not of Christ. There are countless distractions countless false teachings, numerous anti-Christian philosophies in the world designed by Satan and demons to keep Christians distracted, and ultimately he would love for the church to be destroyed. Never, never, never will that happen. Walk with Jesus, rooted and built up in Jesus. When students came to faith, in Christ in college. I'm going to show you something. When students came to faith in Christ in college, we would take them through a resource called the White Book. <laughs> I have to show you this too. We also had the Blue Book. <laughs> but all these are, they, they, they are, they're resources. The White Book is a tool to help you follow up with new Christians who are getting started in their commitment to Christ. On Friday, I drove up to Carlisle, Pennsylvania. I love to go up there. There's a Christian bookstore up there that I love to go to. I went to get three books, and I left with 15. (laughs) But when I was driving back, I was thinking about this sermon, and I called one of my best friends named Jeremiah. He's a counselor in Charlotte. And I said, Jeremiah, tell me 
what you would say. What would be your main concern for a new believer in the Lord Jesus? I said, you remember us going through the white book? He said, oh, yeah. He said, you know, Terrence, I would teach them the means of grace. That's the word of God. That's prayer. That's sharing your faith with others. And that's fellowship. And I would teach them consistency. Keep at it. You know how many people say, I, it's so hard for me to get up in the morning and have a quiet time, or to have a quiet time with God at all? The scriptures say, God said to Cain, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. If we do not let the word of God master us, you all, we will not be a witness in the world. It won't happen. Well, I want to leave you with two takeaways, and then I'm finished. The first one, spend time with Jesus. Now, you remember that from last week? (laughs) Spend time with Jesus. Sharing your faith comes from the overflow of spending time with Jesus. Ask God, number two, ask God to give you one person for the gospel to be evangelized and to be established. That's what I'm praying each week for you. God would give us, each one of us, one to be evangelized and to be established. That disciples might know who they are in Jesus and that we might get them on the way to maturity. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, your word is perfect. Your word is what we need every day. Lord, I confess my own sin. God, in neglecting your word. But, oh, Lord, how you give light. How you give life. How you feed us with the bread of heaven. I thank you for this congregation. I thank you that your hand is upon them. I thank you that you love them, and I thank you that you are working on them. They are not finished. There are things yet to be done, and, oh, God, your plan is perfect. We thank you this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.